Before Randy comes up, we're going to have a reading from the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. For my teenagers back there, I always have to do that. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 6. And this, it's a little bit of a longer scripture. Pastor Randy let me know that. And you know what? He and I are in agreement. We are not apologizing for reading long scriptures. This is the power of God's word. Amen. We need as much of it in our lives as we can get. So sit back and relax and let me read it to you. How about that? All right. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 6. And we're going to go through verse 29. Now, this is Paul on trial before King Agrippa. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfillment as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? It too was convinced that I ought to do all that I was that it I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand to your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and then all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. 
That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning has driven you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that None of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Amen. Heavenly Father, as Pastor Andy comes forward, God, give them the words that you want us to hear, that you want to sink deep into our hearts and our minds today. Amen. As we continue our Transform series that we're just now getting started, it's part two, and uh, glad that you are here for it. Thank you so much for being a part of it, whether live stream, live in real life here, uh, or uh, later on as you go back and uh, watch this passage uh, of scripture being read and this sermon. Thank you for taking the time to allow God's word to be a part of your life. It's a really, really important thing when we're talking about transformation. We started last week, and I started in this place. I started in the fact that John chapter 10, verse 10 is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture, and it is a reminder that the devil is out to get us. He is the thief that comes to lie, kill, and destroy. I said kill, but I meant kill. I don't know why I said kill, but maybe you can just forgive me for that. Uh, but he says, but I have come that they might have life. And might have it more abundantly or have it to the fullest. And that is what Jesus is desiring for you and for me. It is not just simply that we give our lives over to the Lord. It is also that we give our lives over to the Lord and experience victory in our lives. I want us to try, go ahead and put up that passage. It's there and, and you can just see it for yourself. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and might have it to its fullest or the more abundantly. And so that is what God desires for you and for me as Christians. It is not just simply to accept him and then stay there. As a matter of fact, we talked last week a little bit about the book by Dr. Henry Cloud. I shared a couple of quotes, one of them being basically, all growth is spiritual growth. It's from the book entitled, How People Grow. And there are lots of really great things about this book that I could recommend to you. If you're an Audible listener or an Audible member, you can definitely grab that and continue and kind of learn a little bit. 
But one of the things that he said that I shared with you last week that I found so powerful in my own life and my own thought process, and it kind of put words to what I sometimes find in our, in our world of Christianity. He said, we know that God is the creator. And we mean that as God created life from non-life. But we have to take to the realization even deeper than that it's just deeper than just creation. It means that God's bringing life to your dead situations that are a part of your life and mine. God is not only the creator, but the re-creator of life. It becomes the theology of how one overcomes a depression or heals a marriage or rescues a failing business career. His power is not just simply in you and in me so that our souls might be saved forever. That is a part of it, but it's not all of it. He desires for you and for me to grow beyond the dependencies, the addictions, the horrible attitudes that take us and take us down in a direction that God does not want. He wants his children to live in victory. And that is not just simply some you know, self-help kind of pep talk I'm giving. I'm telling you, God desires for you and I to experience victory because of the power of Jesus that is in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that every one of us is never going to have a problem. Problem, never going to have an illness, never going to have any issues or any kind of financial struggles or relational problems. No, no, that is not at all what I'm saying, but I'm saying that God's power, he wants it to be present in all of those situations and more. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. And trust me, transformation begins in your mind. If you're ever going to grow, it will begin with the decision that you make. You probably have already figured out, as I have, that you don't accidentally fall upward, <laughs> you always fall down, right? The truth of the matter is, is that people don't say, you know what, I was just laying there and you just, you know, it grabbed me and seized me and suddenly I decided I'd get all of my life in order. No, no, no. That rarely, if ever, happens. Most of the time, when we fall, we fall down, not fall up. But the beautiful thing is, is that God is always there and pulling us towards a better us. And so, just remember where it begins. This is the thing that I talked about last week about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passage of scripture, but just in case you've forgotten, transformation begins in the mind. And he even says that in his word from Romans chapter 12. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he goes on and he says, this is how you do it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, if you or I are going to change, it's because our mind is not conformed to the world's pattern, but instead looks a lot more like the godly pattern that he has set out for us. Now, I want to talk today a little further about another section of Scripture that refers to Paul's transformation on the Damascus Road. If you were here last week or if you listened last week, you know that in Acts chapter 9, there is that passage that just simply details what is happening. In the passage that Eric just read, he goes back and he actually recounts before a king exactly what had happened to him. In Acts chapter 22, there's also another passage, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but I just want to kind of give you a timeline, a visual experience here. Paul was probably born around 5 BC to 5 AD. He was born in a city called Tarsus, 
near modern-day Turkey, and he was born as a Roman citizen. And so a number of years go by, and we don't know a lot about him. We know that he was pursuing a rabbinical school from the feet of Gamaliel, is what the Bible tells us. But we know that probably somewhere around 34 to 37, I personally tend to lean towards 34 AD, because I don't think that it was a long time that, that he was persecuting the Christians. I think that he was arrested on the Damascus Road pretty early. And so the Damascus Road experience probably happened between 34 and 37 AD. And then Paul was martyred for his faith in Christ in Rome in 64 AD. So you stop for just a moment and think about this. I believe with all of my heart that if you ask Paul, he would just simply say something along these lines. You know, I was going to Damascus. I was going to go and I was going to make a bunch of Christians recant and say they did not any longer believe in Christ. But as I was going, I had an experience that changed my life forever. I think everything in Paul's life basically could be divided in two sections, before or after the Damascus Road experience. It changed everything about his life. It changed everything about him as a human being. He turned his life fully over to God and never looked back until he was martyred for that faith that had been the very cornerstone of who he was. Everything in his life changed at the moment of the Damascus Road. Now, here's something for you and I to learn real quickly. I just want you to check out this slide so you can see it. Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul, had his Damascus Road experience. It's detailed in Acts in three separate spots, three separate times. Once in Acts chapter 9... Then Paul retells the experience to the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 22. And then he tells it in, uh, in the presence of King Agrippa, one of the provincial kings of the area that was given that place to rule by the Romans. And he tells that in verse 26. That's the one that Eric just read to you. But stop for a minute and just think, how important is this to Paul when he stands before those who would accuse him and accuse him to the point of even sending him to death for blasphemy that Jesus was the Messiah what does he do he stands up and he tells of the conversion experience that he had the way that he was transformed from the man he was to the man he now today is now I don't know if you've ever had that experience before here is what I would tell you if you've never given your heart to the Lord if you've never let him transform you from death to life if you've never allowed him to forgive you of your sins and give you a home in heaven there is never a better time than right now anytime you can get this opportunity to think about and be in a place where your heart is open to the Lord's word and to what he is sharing with you all you have to simply do is call out and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come in and be the Lord of my life. It's just that simple. But I believe that we as Christians have opportunities frequently. It's not just once in our life. It's not just way back when we were children where we made some sort of commitment to the Lord, but maybe even later where we have a recommitment to the Lord, where we have another time to say, you know what? I used to live in that way, even as a Christian, but now I have a different level of being transformed in my life. I'm a, I'm a closer Christian. I'm a Christian who walks in more victory. I'm experiencing more of the abundant life that God wants me to experience ever since 
represents this moment or whatever it might be. And I believe that all of us today are going to have the opportunity to say this can be a transformational moment. This can be a catalyst moment where we go from that kind of old way of life where we just kind of rock along and just accept a whole lot less than God has provided for us. Or we can say, instead, I'm going to give more to the Lord. I'm going to allow him to grow me to become the Christian that I ought to be and that he wants me to be and the one that actually brings glory and honor to him. Now, I don't know if you guys, how many of you in here know what memes are? Do y'all know what memes are? Have y'all ever seen this meme? I love this meme. Cool story, bro. You know, cool story, bro, from Chuck Norris. This is the best. Chuck Norris, good, good Texas boy, right? It's a cool story, bro. And there's another part of cool story, bro. It means it, at the bottom, sometimes it'll say, tell it again, right? Tell it again. <laughs> cool story, bro. Tell it again. I love this because this is Paul in Acts. It happens to him in Acts chapter 9. And then he tells later. And then he tells it again even later. Cool story, bro. Tell it again. And maybe you grew up with the King James Version. That's fine. Interesting tale, my fellow brethren. I do urgeth thee to recite it once more. Cool story, bro. Tell it again. All right. So here's the deal. If it's in there three times, pay special attention. Just pay special attention if it's that big of an influence, if it's that big of a turning point, if it's that big of a catalyst for somebody that's as big in Christian history as the Apostle Paul, man, it's a cool story. Tell it again. Read it again. Learn from it again. And here's what is beautiful. How many of you guys have ever told of a conversation or a discussion that you had and you told one person one day and then you told somebody else the next day? Have you all ever had that experience? And, and if you go back Have you noticed that you tell them parts that you didn't say and you forget and you leave out other parts? You have kind of stories that highlight one part of it and then later you've maybe emphasized another part. And, And this is exactly what is happening. Here's what's beautiful. We have the story from Luke, the writer of both Luke and Acts. He details what happened, but then Paul's own words detail what happened behind the scenes in the Damascus Road experience. It wasn't just the thing that happened and everybody saw. It was the very voice that Paul heard. It's the very word of Jesus Christ to him that others did not hear. But later he says, this is what he said to me. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. I mean, like thinking about the fact that when Jesus spoke to him and his, you know, verbal, audible sound, he heard it. It spoke to him and he's like, this is exactly what he said. And he says something even deeper, even more powerful, even more vivid than is detailed in Acts chapter 9. We're going to get there in just a minute. But let me make sure that you understand that this is really a turning point for Paul, but it's not a turning point for him alone. If you go back and read from Acts chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, and also in 11 through 12, Saul gets up from the ground. This is where he got knocked down like a sledgehammer. The light hit him so hard that he was blinded for at least three days. We didn't know exactly how long until it was after and done. But he was blinded for at least three days. He opened his eyes. He couldn't see a thing. They led him by the hand into Damascus. Now, have any of you guys ever had a problem with your eyes before? Man, that's scary stuff. That is scary stuff. And I don't know about you, but I don't like it when I can't see 
And I sure don't like having to say, somebody come and lead me along by the hand because I can't see anything. Now, I told you guys before, it's getting really hard for me because i got to wear these glasses a lot more than ever before. I don't like it because if I wear them, I can see here, but I can't see when I'm driving. So if I ever find myself looking at something and then looking up and I've still got my glasses on, it looks all foggy and, you know, hazy and that kind of thing. I don't like it. It makes me feel, I don't know, maybe a little out of control, maybe a little less than I used to be, you know? I don't know. Can I get an amen from anybody over 50 in the house? I mean, come on, right? Thank you. Or over 40, right? Exactly. I held out, but then I went, you know? So that's where I'm at. I'm at the bottom of the cliff. All right. Anyway, that's the thing. This is Paul. He never needed anybody. And suddenly he needs somebody to lead him by the hand. Suddenly God says, and you're going to not see anything until... There's a man named Ananias who's going to come and he's going to lay his hands on you. He's going to pray for you. And then you are going to receive your sight back. Now, this is really cool. I will just tell you this. I, even in our, our own fellowship within the last, I'm going to say four weeks, there has been an experience very much like this where God spoke to one person and then God spoke to this person about that person, that person about this person, and then they both said, oh, this isn't important. Now, I'm probably just dreaming this up. And then this person said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and text. And they texted, and that person laughed out loud and said, I cannot believe you haven't texted me in a year, but God laid something on my heart that I should reach out to you. I said no, but it sounds like you said yes. I mean, it happens. This is exactly what is detailed in how people grow. It said that Henry Cloud said, you know what? I was at SMU University up in Dallas. I don't know that God's movement and spirit still continues in Dallas. I don't know. I think it's more of a Houston thing myself. That's just me. Here's the truth. He was at SMU and he said, you know what, God? I'm at the end of my rope. It's a really cool story. I'll tell you more on a different day. He says, but you know, I'm at the end of my rope and I don't even know if you're there he said, I went to a chapel and I prayed. And he said, I prayed, I got up, it didn't feel like anything had changed. He said, I went to my room, I just kind of sat there. I started reading the Bible because that's about the best that I could do. And he said, and then my phone rang. That's back when people didn't text, but they actually made a phone call. He said, I, I got a phone call. I picked it up and my friend said, I don't know why, but I felt like I needed to tell you that we're starting a brand new Bible study. And God kind of laid it on my heart to call you. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome to see that God is whispering your name to people who will encourage you, be there for you, bless you in, in ways where you need it desperately? Here, can I just say something else? Let him whisper someone else's name to you. And then you take the action. Don't wait and go, that's interesting that they came to my mind out of nowhere. Why don't you text them and maybe be a part of how God is blessing in that way? Just a word to the wise, all right? So here's the deal. Just understand something. He needed other people. Then the Lord speaks on Ananias' side. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus. Rewind it for me if you don't mind, please. Thank you. Saul from Tarsus. He is praying in a vision. He's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and to restore his sight. 
All right, let's jump to the next one if you don't mind. You're good. Thank you so much. And don't miss this. God could have healed him just as much as he struck him with the sledgehammer of light that blinded him. He could have healed him just as easily without anybody else around. But this is always the way that I see it happen. I believe that real change happens, first of all, with God's power. Second of all, it almost always involves other people either speaking into your life or being an encouragement in your life or being a support system for you. And then it begins, thirdly, with internal change and external change. You do these things, these three steps are always involved in changing someone. And if it's not there in your life, put those things in place so God can change you. And I want to just make sure that you don't miss this. If you don't mind, let's go to slide number 12. It says, don't miss this. He says, don't miss this on slide number 12. Let me, there we go. You know what? I I mistakenly put slide number 12 there. My bad. Here's what I would say. Let's go to this. Don't miss this on slide number 14. How about that? Now we're talking. All right. If God considered Saul or Paul an enemy, he could have simply taken his life on the Damascus Road. He could have. But instead, he turned an enemy into an ambassador. Do you see that? He didn't hate Paul or Saul because he was in a different direction. He realized, if I can get this man to focus upon me, everything can change for him. Now, here's what I would say to you. God is for you. He is not against you. He could have turned away from you or written you off. You know how I know? Because a long, long time ago, he easily could have turned away from me and written me off. It's universal. He could have done that, but he does not do that because he would rather turn an enemy into an ambassador. He has a plan for you and for me, just like he did for Paul. He can turn an enemy into an ambassador, but you and I have to be ready to hear from him and listen. All right, let's go to this, this second something to learn. This is another thing that you can learn. Uh, let's check this out. Paul tells Agrippa that Jesus himself, speaking to Paul on the Damascus Road, says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads are cattle prods, and I put gigam. Does anybody in here like want to give me the gigam? All right, a few of y'all do. Some of y'all are like, no, I'm Texas. Some of y'all are like, no, I'm U of H. And then some of y'all are like, no, I'm Sooners. What? <laughs> That's, see that? Uh, all right, never mind. I'm not starting a fight. Maybe I am. Here's the deal. Goads are cattle prods that would be used to direct or urge an animal to work. Here's the deal. Have any of y'all ever had the opportunity to try to move a donkey? Anybody? It's not the King James Version. It's just a donkey. Listen to me. Have you ever had to move a donkey? Have you ever tried to do that? It is almost impossible. You can grab a halter around his face and just be pulling and pulling. And that donkey will be like, nope, I'm just going to sit down. We'll stay right here. So what would they do in the ancient world? They'd have a goad, sometimes up to eight foot long on on a pole. And on the end would be some sort of spur or point. And they would sometimes just go, and they'd poke the donkey in the rear end. And guess what the donkey would do? Let's get busy. 
<laughs> it's a funny thing. If, if you think it just works for donkeys, try it on your friend. They'll do the same. Let's get busy. And then they'll look at you like, I hate you. But that's another sermon for another day. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I want you to stop and think for just a second and imagine that you're the stubborn donkey. I know this is a stretch, but imagine you're the stubborn donkey and you get poked with the goad. What happens? If you were new to goads and you're a donkey, guess what you do? You kick up with your back heel. And let's just stop and think about that for just a second. The goad hits you here. You kick up with this foot. I, I feel so stupid right now standing on the stage doing this, but if you can visually follow me, even worse, because you just created a small problem and made it a big one. You took a small sore and made it a huge one. You did more damage lashing out than if you just would have done what you were told to do. You're like, why are we talking about all this cattle stuff? We live in Sugarland, Texas, and everybody who lives here knows nobody's got cattle. Everybody's just got a big belt buckle and a big hat. That's it. It's as close as we get to being cowboys. Here's the truth. Listen and understand what Jesus is saying to Paul. Paul, you're damaging yourself. You're ruining yourself, kicking against something that if you just would submit, all of this pain could stop. All of the things that you desire to see done would start getting done. And you're damaging and hurting your own self because you're just so stubborn that you've got to kick against the goads. This is not in chapter 9. I'm so glad it's in Acts chapter 26 because I don't know about y'all, but in my spiritual life, I have had times where I have kicked against the goads and I've got the, the sores and the scars to prove it. Can I get an amen? Think about this for just a second in your life. If God is prodding you because you are stagnant, stubborn, and stale, if he is prodding you for those reasons and you think you're going to kick against the goads, you go right ahead. But I'm here to tell you that the only person that really gets hurt when you kick against the goads is the person that was already getting poked by the goad. Powerful. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. You're damaging yourself. You've done damage to yourself. Why don't we have a ceasefire and you can be on my team from this day forward. And again, I say the Damascus Road halves Paul's life before and after. It dramatically changes everything in his life. Let's check out this movie. I think it will help you to understand the grace of God that turns enemies into ambassadors. Let's check it out. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. 
Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, male words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, no it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. <clears throat> As a person who has had God say their name, I hope you have. At one point or another, maybe when you were very, very down, or very, very desperate, or very, very confused, or in a very, very dark place, I hope and pray that you are always listening for the God who whispers your name. It begins inside out, and I want to just share with you very quickly a couple of things about what Paul can teach us 
And this is so important. The louder you are about how right you are, the harder it will be for you to change, even if you later realize you need to. How many of you have ever figuratively painted yourself into a corner with the things that you said? The opinions that you loudly spouted off and then later thought to yourself, man, I wish I hadn't said that quite so loudly in front of so many people. Now, how many of you have literally painted yourself into a corner? I'm just, this is a, just a curiosity thing on my side. All right, nobody here. All right, very good. Not that I have. All right, but you look at Paul's dramatic conversion. Why is this such a dramatic thing? Probably because Paul is such a big person, big personality, type A to the core, all the way to the hilt, give you everything he's got no matter what it is. And then God sends his son, reveals the resurrected Jesus to him, says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the what? The goads. And then it changes everything in his life. Three days later, Ananias comes, lays his hands on him. He receives a commission to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. It's so important that you grasp this. Paul as a rabbi probably would not have been interested at all in having any kind of relationship with a Gentile because he was Jewish. He was team Jew all the way. But then in this moment, he receives a Gentile commission from Acts chapter 26. It's on this next slide as we turn here. This is what God says to him. He says, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, turn them from light to darkness, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Later in Philippians chapter 2, Paul will write it in this way. He says something incredibly interesting. He says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed what I've written, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, listen to what he says, continue to work out your salvation. What's the next line? With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Here's what this passage applies and means. Just follow me. There's a couple of really powerful, deep things here. He says, first of all, continue to work out your salvation. That means that your salvation is the beginning point, not the end. That means God has a better life for you. And if you thought it ended at salvation, you were wrong. And then he says it this way, do it with fear and trembling. In other words, approach your Christian life not like you've arrived, but that you are a humble student who needs to continue to learn and grow. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes on and he says, for don't ever lose sight of this fact. It's God that puts that desire inside of you both to will and to act. The internal and the external are all about the grace of God given to us and lived out within us. And the more that we as his people start living it out, the more this world gets changed because he is shown for the risen Lord that he is the powerful change agent that he has always been. 
It's just us as his ambassadors who haven't reflected him correctly. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I don't know about you, but man, I've not been the ambassador for God that I want to be. I need to be better. So I need to continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And it's God that's calling me to hire. And it's God that's going to enable me to engage in higher and better. It's his good purposes, not mine. Very quickly, I'm going to tell you something. I shared this with you guys last week. Let's go to this next slide. The podcast for Dr. Cloud that I mentioned last week, if you've ever listened, I don't know if any of y'all listened or not, but you can go back and grab a, 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 like a, an episode. It will definitely share some good things with you, but I'm not going to lie to you. It kind of drives me a little crazy. It drives me a little crazy, and I'll tell you why. Because if you listen, Dr. Cloud won't let people finish their sentences sometimes. Here's what happens. They'll be like, well, see, I have this problem. And the problem that I got is this, this, this. And they'll start telling all the reasons for the problems that he got. And he goes, hold on just a second. Hold on, hold on. Help me to understand why you have this problem in your life. And they'll be like, well, uh, the reason I got the problem is... And then they start going off on this long rant again. And he goes, you just told me it was somebody else that was causing a problem in your life. Why do their actions change your life's destination how important is this person in your and they're like well uh, yeah, yeah you know it's like this it's like this counseling session on a podcast where everybody who's offering reasons that they're not what they should be get interrupted and say well wait, wait, wait hold on why is their action Something that you have changed your whole life around. And why is it that you can't tell me what's going on in your life independent of somebody else's actions that you think are hindering you? It's like, wow. You stop and think about that for a second. How many of us have lost months? How many of us have lost years of our lives blaming somebody else? And they might not even even be in your daily life anymore. And you let them control and dictate your mindset, your method of living. And you let them do all of that, not because you had to, but because you never stopped to say, hold on just a second. It's supposed to be God leading me, not someone else. And as much as I love my wife and I want to be all that she needs as a husband, I can't choose happiness for her. She can't choose happiness for me even though she's an amazing wife. I can be miserable and have everything perfect in my life because it is my choice and decision. And sometimes when we forget this, we think it's somebody else's fault. But this is the difficulty that we have to to listen to. We have to listen to this truth. And I'm just going to go to the big idea, if you don't mind. We're going to jump to the big idea. I'm going to say it a couple times, then we're going to say it out loud together. But this is it. Your biggest obstacle to growth is seeking to be proven right, even when you aren't. Your biggest obstacle, my biggest obstacle to growth is seeking to be proven right, even when you aren't. Now, we're going to say it aloud together. I don't know if y'all believe me yet, but I'm going to talk a little more about it. But here's the thing. Let's say it together. Your biggest obstacle to growth is seeking to be proven right even when you aren't. Here's the truth. In our lives, let's, let's, let's just rewind it and put it like it's Paul. 
Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. No, you're not. How insane. How insane is it for him to hear a voice from heaven that blinded him with light? But what would we do in that situation? No, you're not Jesus, because I already know that Jesus is not God's son. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the other team, so no, you're not Jesus. Yeah, I really am. Well, well, wait, do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? You understand the difference? I mean, Paul could have argued and said, I already know that you're not Jesus because I've already figured out who Jesus is. Jesus appears to him and says, I knocked you down to the ground. Three days you will be waiting You're not going to mention it to anybody else, but a man named Ananias is going to come. He's going to lay his hands on you. Then you'll start seeing again. Happen just like that. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Wow. My whole life and worldview has to change. Do you guys understand where I'm at? What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to convey? You and I have to be so humble because we think we've got life figured out. And a lot of the time... We're so busy trying to prove that we were right that we never get anywhere close to being right. This happens in marriages. This happens in situations with mothers and fathers to their children and children to their mothers and fathers. Happens all the time. And if you and I are definitely the ones who are always right, we have no room to grow into what God would have us to know and become because we've already got it all figured out. All right, very quickly, another inside out moment, and I'm I'm moving quicker here. I'm gonna keep moving. Whose counsel is consistently finding a home in your heart? Is it social media? Is it reality TV? Which, by the way, is there ever been an oxymoron like reality TV? I just gotta know. I, I gotta know. Articles that you read that, know, that you know aren't from a Christian perspective, but those are the people that are giving you advice. Or what about you saying, you know, I'm listening to a friend of mine. And you're like, okay, great. They're giving you relationship advice. Do they have a good relationship? Mm, yeah. mm, pretty good. <laughs> Why in the world would you take bad advice from folks who don't have exactly what you want? I am not going to, you know what, I'm not going to say that because it's going to sound terrible. So I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to be very careful at whose counsel I listen to. I'm going to be very careful at who I listen to. So for you and for me, we listen to the right people. It begins to change our mind. And this is how we change our mind, how we change our mind in, and I told you uh, the last couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing change your mind and change your methods. Let's begin with change our mind on slide number 24. You work on your interior world. That means that you accept that issues that you have in your life are your responsibility to fix, not to just simply excuse or blame. And then we get rid of the wrong counsel and get the right counsel in our life, which begins with the Lord's word itself. Now, Very quickly, I want to just be clear about something. Everybody say this with me. I'm in a safe place. I'm in a safe place, right? Okay, so don't panic. But just for a moment, imagine that there is somebody who is drawing close to you. 
They have on a mask. They have on a mask. They're getting close to you. And suddenly you begin to feel woozy, like there's been some sort of chemical induced into your system somehow. And then you look at the person that's drawing closer to you wearing that mask, and they have a very, very sharp knife in their hands. Now, I've just described two very different experiences that all share the same characteristics. That person could be coming after you to do you harm and to steal something from you, or they could be a doctor. What's the difference? The only difference is their intention. How many of you have ever had surgery before? They, they, they cut you open in surgery. I don't know if y'all know this. Bad news. They cut you open in surgery. They take a knife to your skin. It's pretty rough. I won't tell you about the surgeries that I've had. I haven't had a lot. But it's weird because you wake up and you're like, hmm, I got a big old scar. They've been on the inside of this stuff. This is weird. Yes, it was near my abdomen. I know I was like pointing, but don't think anything crazy. Just, just follow me. So what's the difference between a thief and a doctor? It's all about the intention, isn't it? One of them is coming in and surgically helping you to heal. One of them is doing damage to you just to hurt you. But they're doing the same things in many ways. Do you guys grasp what I'm saying? Have you heard the proverb that says wounds from a friend can be trusted? Some of you have people around you who can tell you how to get off the cycle in your life that has never been left behind. And they're willing to do it, but you've never opened that door. You've never let them be a doctor. I would be very, very careful and very, very wise about who has an opportunity to speak into your life, that wise counsel. But there are people that can help you to get past sticking points in your life if you will let them. I know for me personally, that person most of my life has been my wife. She knows me better than anybody else. And you know what? There are things that she says sometimes that feel like they cut. And then I realize that was surgery. That was soul surgery that needed to get done. The problem for a lot of people is, is anytime they've got a scar, they think somebody's been a criminal. Maybe they were a doctor and they just didn't know it. I don't know. Lots to think about, I think. All right, change your methods. Very quickly, let's go to change your methods. I told you I was gonna keep moving fast. Work on your exterior world. You can humbly ask to hear surgical words. Those are the things that I talked about just a moment ago. And you have to stay steadfast in community with people who bring out the best in you and want the best for you. Sometimes you will hear something you don't want to hear but it is the people that love you and want the best for you and bring out the best in you. But if you're not listening because you just got hurt and you walk away and you withdraw from the community, the problem is, is that the change probably never will take place. It's the truth in your life and in mine. There are things that we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. 
And it's an incredible thing when you begin to look at Psalms chapter 119 or James chapter 1, where we start talking about what God's word is in our life. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, it shows me where I'm standing, shows me where I ought to be walking. And then in James chapter one, anyone who listens to the word of God, but doesn't do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in the mirror after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues in it, not forgetting what they've seen or heard, but doing it, they're going to be blessed in all the things that they do. You and I have a more blessed future if we will give ourselves fully to God and cease to be satisfied in the muck and the mire that we have allowed ourselves to get used to. All right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the big question because I know I've taken all the time that I have and I appreciate your time and your attention, but we're going to go to this big question and very, very quickly... Here's a question. What has God been whispering to you about changing in your life? I shared this with you last week. I encourage you to think about it again. Ask yourself again, what is God whispering to you? What what are you kicking against as a goad in your life that God is trying to direct you to be better and be more? But what is it that you have ceased or you're kicking against those goads? Have you been listening or is something bigger needed to get you to pay attention to him? I don't know about you, but I'd rather God get my attention as he speaks to me or whispers my name than when he has to knock me down to the ground, take my sight from me for three days. But God has a way of saying, I will have your attention. You got to be very careful that you listen a lot less painful, a lot less scars. Cool story, bro, is only a cool story after the fact. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, we've been through the test, and then there's the testimony, but I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of it, it ain't fun, it ain't easy, and it's hard. So listen more intently and have a lot fewer scars. Here's how you apply very quickly. Here's how you apply. You commit to spiritual growth both in your mind and your methods. You examine the counsel that you have coming into your life on a consistent basis. You examine that counsel. And then on the second one, you commit to community. You know, in the 12-step programs like uh, Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, you know what they say? They say to people, they say, here's what happens when you fall. Here's what happens when you fall. The very first thing you do is you get to a meeting and you call your sponsor and then you call the rest of your support system when you fall. Not if, but when you fall. And then they say this. They say, the meeting that you want to go to the least is the one that you need the most. For most of us, we withdraw from the very community that provides healing to us. It is so important and so vital for us to allow God's community and God's word to change us from the inside out. And it is always grace. It is not about being perfect. I've told you plenty about me and about my life and I've told you plenty about my failures. I promise you, the person in the pulpit isn't pretending to be perfect because he's not. There's a lot of P's in that word there, but follow. I am not pretending to be perfect. And so nobody out there should be. 
Nobody out there is. I don't know of anybody here who pretends they've, they've got it all figured out. And so because of that, this community is a place where you can come and admit your failures and admit your need and then allow God to say, all right, from this point forward, let's go in a new direction. All right, so speaking of that, I shared, I don't know if you guys were here with me last week, but if you were or if you were tuning in online, you know that I shared a picture of my mom with a waist about this big, my dad with the coolest car. I shared this old school photo and I got on this old school photo kick and I want to show you guys a picture of my dad when he was about 16 or 17. That's him on the far right hand side. Yeah, pretty cool looking dude. And got the duck tail. Check out those jeans and those penny loafers back when it was cool like the first time. Pretty cool. All right, so this is my, my dad's whole family. I texted my dad. I was like, how, how old were you in this picture? He said, probably 15, 16, 17. And I said, this is probably one of the last pictures that you took as a family before my grandfather left. He said, probably so. That's a whole nother story and a whole nother like church service. Be here, just keep coming. The guy on the far left is my uncle Roy. My uncle Roy is younger than my dad. My dad's the oldest. My aunt Barbara's the middle, you know, the next one. And then my uncle Roy, my uncle Ron over here. Only two left are my dad and my uncle Ron, the oldest and the youngest. My uncle Roy over there on the far side, he passed. He passed a few years back. What was really, really interesting and really, really powerful is I have no idea how you guys feel about these things. I'm not going to tell you that this is a truth. I will tell you that it is his story. He told us that as he lay on a surgical table to do a quintuple bypass surgery, he was separated from his consciousness not by the doctors, but by his heart stopping. He says, he says, I left my body and I was kind of up in the corner of the room. Now I'm telling you, you don't have to believe this, but I promise you my uncle did. He believes that he left his body and stood before the Lord and realized that he was not in a place where he was okay and that he'd be allowed into heaven because of all the sin and all the path that his life had taken him away from God. He says that he cried and begged to be able to go back and change his path. I'm here to tell you that if you believe it or not, I don't care, I don't mind, I'm not preaching this as the Bible. I'm preaching this as what experience my uncle had. But here's what I will tell you. From that day forward until the day that he died, my uncle Roy was a different man. He was a different man. It was a catalyst that changed the entire path of his life. And you could divide his life in many ways before and after that moment. He became a better father. He became a better husband. He became a better Christian. He became a different man from that day forward. 
And I praise God because you know who, as a little boy, used to pray for him? Always in Sunday school. Pray for him and pray for him and pray for him and pray for him and pray for him for years. And it never made a difference until it did. And then everything changed. Now, you can take it for whatever it's worth. You can believe it or choose not to. I'm not here to convince you of it. I'm just here to say this. Sometimes when God gets our attention one way or another, whatever it looks like, it changes the path of our life. And I would encourage you, if you've been on a long walk away from God, or if you've been in a place where your feet have not moved towards God in a long, long time, I would just encourage you, let it be now that changes the course and the path of your life. It doesn't have to be any special day. It can just be a day where you decide enough is enough. I'm going to give God my whole life. He's not just going to be the creator. He's going to be the recreator. He's going to be the one who allows all of life to come alive for me from this day forward. Not some big emotional thing. Not some big, I'm pushing you into a corner and making you feel. If he's speaking to you and whispering your name, if you're asking, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you left out. Then just come back. It's just that simple. It's just that easy. That's it. Unleash new life and transform. That's it. Heavenly Father, you are God. And we are desperately in need of you. And we would ask that you would change and transform us, not because we are good, but because you are full of grace. And you have sought us when we were not seeking you. I pray that you would transform us to be more like you. And that we as your believers and your family would see the abundant life taking shape in us as you have more and more and more control. In Jesus' name we pray. So very quickly, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and you know the Lord is speaking to you, I'm not even going to look. Normally I pray for you, look at you. I'm just going to encourage you. Make a move towards the Lord. Raise your hand if it is you that is making a move towards the Lord right now and just allow him to make this a catalyst moment for you.